The following was recorded at New Church in Ventura, California. Pastor Jesse Giglio is speaking. Good to be back after Easter. Easter is just a fun time, and it's fun to celebrate here in this place. And for us, it was our second Easter with this community. Uh, to see, see God doing work amongst so many of us, all of us, in, in some capacity. Uh, and then people all over town and all over the world sort of celebrating this, this day of new life and excitement. And it's just paramount and central to our story is that Jesus took this burden from us. He, he rescued us uh, from death. And we're going to follow up just the last sort of, it's almost a prologue in the Gospel of John that that, that kind of follows up with the story. So Jesus has been has risen. Uh, he's, he's made some appearances. He's seen Mary, and things are going well. And then we find the disciples uh, post-resurrection, but pre-ascension. So Jesus is still here, on, uh, as in planet Earth. He hasn't, he hasn't ascended to the heavenlies. Um, but kind of what, is, what do we do with that in-between period? And we find the disciples sort of kind of in a, uh, maybe an awkward place of waiting, or what, what's supposed to happen now, looking for some sort of, sort, sort of plans. And some of us are all about the plans, right? You, you have to have a plan. What's the plan? What's the schedule? Uh, what's next? What's the timeline? My wife is that way. I mean, she just makes a plan every day, has a list for everything. And I'm not. I, I like to have an idea, but I'm not as much of a, a specific planner. And that sort of stuff actually makes me feel a little uncomfortable when I see too many things in a list. Like, it's just like, oh, my gosh, that's, that's too much commitment. Now, maybe I'm commitment adverse. I don't like to know everything into the future. But, but again, we all sort of need some sort of plan. And, and, and it, it was sort of fun. Some of you guys probably picked up on this. If you, if you follow my wife, she posts something on Instagram every now and then. And if you've seen that, we were in... Uh, or Facebook, and we were in... Uh, we took a couple days after Easter, just went out to the Palm Springs, Palm Desert... Um, and just for just to hang out and 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 just get some sun and 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 take a little break with the family and and it was sort of last minute planned and, and we hadn't had a you know ton of time to talk about it and sort of one afternoon I think it was I might have been the Monday after Easter I don't know it was very close to this sort of thing that's sort of how I roll I'm hanging out with Jet and and we we get on the computer and we start looking at hotels in Palm Springs and 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 sort of book something and you know you, these travel sites are just crazy right it's just like you're you're trying to find the best deal and you feel like oh my gosh if I book this one there's going to be a better deal on the next page and there's all these pop ups and there's like four of these are left and two of these people are looking at it right now three of these are left you're like oh my gosh like ah I mean just this pressure of these things is this the right side you know kayak booking what travelocity. And so you're kind of going through this, this sort of madness. I'm with Jet, and Jet's super sensible, and he's just like, just book the Marriott. It'll be safe. I'm like, ah, the Marriott seems kind of boring. And uh, so we find this, you know, we find something that looks pretty good. And, and, I, and I knew Amy was working all last week at this convention, robots convention. And, and uh, I said, I'm just going to kind of take this trip. I'll book it and plan it out. And I just, I go ahead and, and sort of type up this, this whole itinerary from, like, we're going to leave at, we're going to hit, like, wheels up at, you know, 930 on the freeway. Uh, arrive here for lunch. We're going to do this, the tramway to the top. We're going to, you know, be checking this hotel. We're going to have, you know, happy hour with these people and, and all. I just kind of spelled it all out because I can do it. I don't like doing it, but I can do administrative stuff. Like I'm capable of it. I've had to do enough of it in my life. I just sort of prefer not to. And I like to have an idea of what I'm doing. I just like to have like three options going at all times. And I feel like if you write it down, then you have to do it. So I kind of like in my mind, I'll survey a spot. Like, I, I want to have some direction of places to eat and visit. I just don't want to commit to any of those things. Like, all right, I know Amy likes this. So I spelled this whole thing, and, and she is just like, and we were kind of fighting last week before Easter, honestly. There was just a lot going on. Church is busier. I'm working. She's working. And then she comes in. I sent her this email of, like, details, like, minute by minute. And she's like, I love you so much. I'm like, you love me because I wrote down a list? I'm like, yes. I'm like, 
It says breakfast at eight and pool at nine. Like that's all it takes. And, but, but she loves that. That's her love language. And she sort of prefers to sort of have that spelled out. It makes her feel comfortable and at peace. And many of you are, are that way. You kind of want to know the plan and what's happening. You don't want to leave it up to chance or sort of a, or, or a husband like me who would just come up with an idea in the second, right? I put down weather each day in each place. Like here's the weather at the top of this, of this hike. Here's the weather in Joshua. Here's the weather in Palm Springs. This gave her everything I could think of. And she just loved it. And that's sort of her love language and how she, she lives. And so for me, you know, it's a little bit of a move over here. I can do it and, it, and it creates sort of peace for her. But even in my my world, I like to have some sort of flow with, with what we're doing. So if we're going on these sites, I'm like, all right, what's nearby to eat and, and where could we go? And we all kind of need that. Even if you're sort of a, a last-minute person or you're a person who just doesn't like to have a lot of scheduling, like, oh, just, just figure it out. Like, we all kind of like to have some sort of flow in mind. And even, even in these times, and we've all sort of been there, whether it's like, oh, I have A, B, and C lined up exactly, or at least I know what A, B, and C are, so I can choose one. Well, you know, we need that. And, and the disciples of this period after Jesus, they're sort of floating with like, all right, now, now what? And many of us have been there in life, like, there's now what? Yeah, there's God, there's life, there's hope, there's a plan, God has something great for me, but, but what am I doing, doing now? And there's not much worse situation those of you who have been with other, travel with other people, it's easier when you're alone, maybe, but uh, travel with other people, specifically a spouse or family. You get on in a situation, whether it's vacation or even time off, and you don't know what you're doing, and people are looking to you for direction. Like, all right, what are we, what are we doing? What should we do now? Like, oh, I don't know. What do you want to do? I don't, I don't care. What do you want to do? Like, maybe we should eat. Sure, let's eat. What do you want to eat? I don't know what to eat. I'm not even hungry, but let's go eat. Like, you get in these things. How many fights have been had over those situations when you don't know what you're supposed to be doing? And you know it's important. Like, we all know life is short. Time is short. There's, there's value to every day, especially when you have time off and you're supposed to be intentional with your family. Like, ah, what am I supposed to be doing? It, it sort of creates this, this tension. In this, in this post-Easter script, we see the disciples just a little bit. And this is interesting in John because he, he covers this, kind of floating a little bit. I'm just going to read it, we'll, we'll, and we'll kind of kick it around a little bit and see what we have for us today. But, again, the, 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 uh, chapter 20 of John is wrapped up. Uh, Thomas has seen the scars. John writes, man, this has been amazing. This is all true. And he adds that, man, if we were to write everything down Jesus did, it wouldn't, we wouldn't have enough. There's not enough books in the world. So he kind of almost closes it up in, in 20, and then it pops into 21. Uh, there's some discussion. Biblical scholars would say, okay, has this been added on from another author? Did John write it later? What we do know is it's, it's included with the, the earliest manuscript. So this, this John 21 However it came on here has always been with the book. So the church fathers who put this stuff together, it was always been with the book. And it goes like this. After this, Jesus appeared to the disciples, this time at, at the Sea of Tiberias, the Sea of Galilee. So if you know, the Sea of Galilee is, is home base for the disciples. Jesus spent a ton of time up there. I don't have a map today, but this is, this is where they're from, north of Jer- Jerusalem. This is how he did it. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Canaan and Galilee, and the brother Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. Simon Peter announced, I'm going fishing. The rest of them replied, well, we're going with you. They went out and got in the boat. They caught nothing that night. When the sun came up, Jesus was standing on the beach, but they didn't recognize him. So the disciples have had this, this resurrection story has happened in Jerusalem. Jesus appears. This miracle, this miracle happens. And then there's this time where we don't know exactly where Jesus was going or what other business he had, but he apparently wasn't with the disciples, and they sort of just went back home. They're, they're in Jerusalem. Jesus has risen, and now like, okay, now what? And Peter's like, well, let's, let's go fishing. 
Like, let's just go fishing. That's what we do. Like, let's, and they're like, okay, let's go with you fishing. And it's interesting to see Peter sort of, and John's setting this up intentionally. He's sort of beginning his leadership of these people, of these guys. Like, what should we do, Peter? I don't know. Let's go fishing. Like, he didn't know what to do, but he had to come up with something. And this is where, they're, where they come from. This is sort of their trade. This is how they provide. Maybe there was an economic reality to it. Like, man, we, gotta, we better get some fishing in. We've been with Jesus for three years, and I am broke. Like, I, we have got to go, go make some money. And so they go back to this, this, this sort of Sea of Galilee where they, where they come from. And the very, at the very sort of least, there's just some uncertainty here for the disciples because we know eventually they would birth the church. But in this period of time, it's like, I don't know. Do we, just, do we just go fishing? And some of us have been in that place where we know Jesus is doing something. God is doing something in our life. He's in, in life collectively in the community, in your individual life. But you're not really sure what to do next. Like, there's no plan. Like, you, don't, you need sort of this A, B, and C. And what, like, Jesus, what time should I be here? And sometimes it's like, where is Jesus? Ever felt like that? Where is Jesus? Like, he, he got me excited, whether it was in a, in, in a quiet time you had, through a text in the Bible, a worship service, a conference, you're listening to some music on, on a car ride, and like, yeah, God, it's amazing. And you're like, what should I do? And like, there's just nothing. And you kind of find yourself in that in-between, like, I don't, I guess I'll just go do what I always do. And you know what? Sometimes that's okay. Sometimes that's absolutely okay. I don't think Peter was wrong here. They weren't wrong. They go back, well, let's go back to home base. And let's just sort of go fishing until we, until we hear something else. Because at that time, they didn't know. They didn't have the direction. They had some excitement. They had this revelation of a risen Lord, but there wasn't a plan. And so he diverts to sort of what they, what they know how to do. And so Jesus shows up on the beach. Uh, they, they catch nothing at night, so they, they fish through the night. This was sort of, they were fishermen. They knew what they were doing. They went and cast their nets out in the and the Sea of Galilee, and it was probably summer, so it was warm. The fish were out at night, and, they, and they, they, they're, they're trying to fish, and again, they know how to fish, uh, and they catch nothing. All night, they catch nothing. When the sun came up, Jesus was standing on the beach, but they didn't recognize him. Jesus spoke to them, good morning. Did you guys catch anything for breakfast? Now, you can imagine these fishermen out there. They're tired from the night. They got totally skunked, and some dudes on the beach like, hey, you guys catch anything for breakfast? Like, well knowing they didn't. And that's always kind of uncomfortable. Any of us who've gone fishing and not catch anything, and guys come around like, hey, you know, you're fishing or catching? Like, it's like, yeah, I'm just fishing today. Like, it's like, it's sort of like a little bit of a dig. Like, you feel uncomfortable when someone's like, you came up empty, didn't you? Like, ah, it just doesn't feel good from some guy on the beach, right? All of these peanut gallery people in our life, like, oh, how'd that work out for you? And so the disciples, who, again, would have known their trade, they don't recognize Jesus. <laughs> would you catch anything for breakfast? Like, who's this guy? I'm not bringing him breakfast anyway. You know him? You know him? And they said, no, we didn't. And he said, hey, you know, calling from the shore. This is, you know, about 100 yards out. They're, they're, they're fairly close. Throw the net off the right side of the boat and see what happens. And it's kind of like, oh, my gosh, I do not need this guy right now trying to tell us how to fish. You know, we, don't, we all have those people in our life that sort of heckle at you from a distance. Like, hey, what would you think about doing this? And you're like, oh, gosh, you did not want to hear from somebody right now. Then you're kind of like, oh, he probably has a point, you know. Like, I, I've, I've had these experiences when we, we've camped with, like, bigger trailers. Sometimes we have a small trailer. Sometimes we have a larger trailer. And you guys know this. If you've done campsites with trailers, you pull in these crowded campsites. You have to back in this giant trailer into a really small spot. And you start backing up into it, and, like, it never fails. Some dudes will come out and start standing around and watch. 
Like, they'll, get, they'll crack a cold beer and, like, let's watch this guy, see if he can get in. And then he start barking out orders. Man, it's the most uncomfortable thing. Like, I know how to back it in. And then, like, you do it wrong. Like, oh, turn the wheel the other way. No, the other way. And it's like, it just stresses you out. And so the disciples are kind of getting this from this sort of guy. Like, hey, man. Oh, you didn't catch anything from breakfast? Try the other side of the boat. Like, what? Try the other side of the boat. What does that have to do with anything? So he did what he said. Because honestly, sometimes you're like, I just got to take a shot. Who knows? They did what he said. And all of a sudden, there were so many fish in it, they weren't strong enough to pull it in. Then the disciple Jesus loved, and this is going to be John again. The disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the master. So John has this revelation. And John has, you know, again, he's center of the story. It's his story. But he's, he's been ahead of Peter in these things. Right? He's, he noticed it was Jesus when he was risen ahead of Peter. He beat Peter to the tomb. He, he puts himself in a position like, I knew it was Jesus first. And he tells Peter, the disciple said, it's the master. And when Simon Peter realized it was the master, he threw on some clothes, for he was stripped for work, and dove into the sea. The other disciples came in by boat, for they weren't far from land, a hundred yards or so, pulling along the net full of fish. When they got out of the boat, they saw a fire laid with fish and bread cooking on it. So Jesus had this kind of spread going on. And, and it's cool to see Peter's response here, because if you remember Peter... From, from earlier in the story, when Jesus is out on the water and he calls Jesus out of the boat, the disciples come out of the boat, Peter goes. Remember, he just, he's the guy who jumps out of the boat. And this has been, if you've been with us for a few weeks, this is Peter again. He's just coming back into himself. Like he, he ran to the tomb. He's a little like, man, he's the guy who will jump out of the boat and not like, all right, we're going to come in. Let's start paddling. Like he's in. He's, he's some some ideas thinking maybe he was down to like his underwear maybe he was naked either way he puts on some clothes the city puts on some clothes to kind of be respectful of jesus or maybe he thought he was going to walk on water again he's like yeah watch this guys i got faith this time he puts on his nice coat and he like jumps out of the boat and like oh that didn't work out like but either way he he swims to jesus with he's he's clothes he swims to jesus he gets there ahead of these guys and the disciples start to row and row into the sea they came by boat. So they weren't far, 100 yards or so, pulling this net full of fish. And they got out of the boat. They saw a fire laid, and there's, there's with some fish and bread cooking on it. And they're kind of like, that guy already has fish. Like, why is he asking us for fish? Jesus said, bring some of the fish you just caught. Simon Peter joined them and pulled the net to shore, 153 fish. And even with all those fish, the net didn't rip. Jesus said, breakfast is, breakfast is ready. Not one of the disciples there asked, who are you? For they knew it was a massacre. Jesus then took the bread and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This is now the third time Jesus had shown himself alive to the disciples since being raised from the dead. So there's this, this next sort of appearance. Whenever Jesus is showing up post-resurrection, there seems to be a little confusion over recognizing him. Um, maybe it's just so crazy that he's here, even though he's shown up before. Maybe there's something about his, his new kind of eternal body that looks a little different. Maybe it has to do with the scarring, which we don't think about too often, but apparently Jesus is taking his scars into his new body, right? He touched the hands and my, my feet, and my, and my hands and my feet to Thomas, and I, we don't know what's on his, what his face looks like, what his back looks like, and we never paint that picture. But man, what if Jesus is still wearing some of the scars and some of the bruises from what he just went through? And it's hard to imagine, like, oh, no, I'm sure he's perfect. Like, I don't know. Maybe he's not. Of anybody in the, in, in the universe who would carry scars into heaven with them, it's going to be Jesus. And so we don't know what, he does, what they don't pick up on him. They don't recognize him right away. And Peter, he doesn't recognize him from where he's at, but John does. 
And sometimes there's those people in our life that we need who just have a little better spiritual eyesight than us. And I, I will admit that I am not perfect at that. Every now and then I pick up on something, I feel like I can be helpful. But man, more often than I need someone to be helping me. My eyesight's just a little off sometimes in the things of the Spirit. And there are people who, who will see clear, like, that's God. If you're telling a story, you're working through a decision, we need people. This, this, this came up at work. This is something I'm working on with school. This is what's happening with my friends and family. Share with someone. Someone's like, man, you know what? That, that's God right there. That's Jesus working in this situation. Here's what I see. We need those people with that kind of visibility. John had that visibility, and he said, Peter, that's the guy. And Peter's like, okay, that's the guy. And I don't know if his eyes came into focus, his spirit left, he just believed John. The miracle started to come into place with these fish. He's like, he's in the water. And that's amazing to have people like that by your side. So I'm like, I think that's God. So I'm like, yeah, that's God, go. And even if you can't see it clearly, you trust this guy. He's like, yeah, he's calling it. I'm on my way into the water. And Peter, and Peter, gets, Peter gets going. And so they're having breakfast. And, um, and again, he's, John's, John's gives some great accounts, 153 fish. This is, this is probably stuff. Some people will get into this idea of like, well, 153 is this, this, and this. And they'll break down all these, you know, kind of codes and you know, Da Vinci codes and stuff. It's probably because it's an eyewitness account. They include details like that. The net didn't break because it didn't. There was 153 fish because there were. This is what the campfire looked like. It's an eyewitness account. John's not making up. He was there. There's details and stories like that. After breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, son of John, you love, love me more than these. And, like, and it's sort of this situation. Like Jesus loves, you know, he gets, gets him around in a, in a casual atmosphere. Uh, he's, he's, he's eating fish, and he's giving them bread. They're, they're camping, right? This is like John 1.1. And he came and he, and he camped out with us. You've been up with us any of this time. He, and, the, and the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. He pitched his tent among us. John 1, John 1, John 21, Jesus is back just hanging out with guys around the campfire, being himself. He's casual, come and have breakfast. You know, John 21, 12, great verse to quote. Like you, everyone can learn that verse. Come and have breakfast, John 20, you know, 21, 12. Like it's, he says, come and have breakfast with me. And he sits out, and he has some of this relational time with these guys. And then there's almost this period of where he's like, all right, Peter, like, you know, you want to take a walk? You want to take a walk? We've kind of been there, like, hey, you want to go for a walk? Like, oh, boy, this is going to get heavy. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, master, you know I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. And he asked the second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, master, you know I love you. Jesus said, shepherd my sheep. Then he said it a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was upset that he asked for a third time, do you love me? So he answered, Master, you know everything there is to know. You've got to know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. And so Jesus pulls him aside, and he, and he takes him out, and he's, he's going to kind of bring up this, this idea. That Peter, in, in the back of his mind, in the heart of his heart, has been harboring this sort of brokenness and shame and guilt about his denial, right? He's... He's the guy who said, I will die for Jesus. And then at Jesus' most difficult hour, Peter said, I don't know that guy. Three times. And we've all heard this story, or, or maybe you haven't, but you, you, you probably have. Right? Three times he denied Jesus, the, the, the crow crows. And, and Peter's carrying that failure with him of letting down his master, his friend, this person he loves, someone who he would consider as a brother. And then Jesus pulls him aside and says, do you love me? And Peter's like, oh, gosh, he knows. And, and I don't know, because when Peter did that, it wasn't like Jesus was right there. But he, Jesus knew he was going to do it. And Peter's like, yep, I did it. I failed you. And Jesus said, do you love me? He's like, I, I, 
I love you. And Jesus goes, oh, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And other one says, do you love me more than these? And this is interesting. And I, I, I think Jesus was really trying to restore Peter here in a, in a friendly way, like bringing him back into the fold. And he says, do you love me more than these? These are like Peter's own words. You know, Peter would have, would have said just, you know, a few, few chapters earlier, I will, uh, chapter 13, Jesus, I will lay down my life for you. And Matthew and Mark, he even says this to Jesus, hey, listen, when all these guys fall away, I will remain. And Jesus says, hey, so, like, when all these guys fall away, will you remain? Do you love me more than all these guys? And it's almost like a little dig. It sort of pulls up exactly what Peter has been doing. And maybe there's almost some sarcasm to it that Peter's like, oh, my gosh, really? I love you. Do we have to talk about this? I'm sorry. Just going, hey, so, you know, all these guys that you talked about love me more than, will you love me more than them? And there's this humble moment for Peter, and Jesus is sort of maybe ribbing him a little bit because over three years in the course of their time together, he might have had the relationship. But I think that's part of the restoration is calling back, hey, remember you said that? Yeah. I do. Like, but it's okay. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. He's bringing Peter back. He's confessing these things. Yes, I love you. Like, we're going to let this thing go. We've all had this stuff that people bring up in our past. And sometimes when they bring it up, there's a hurt to it because that person's still hurting. But Jesus wasn't hurting. He's good. He's not thrown off by Peter denying him back in the courtyard. Peter, Jesus is fine. Jesus is very secure in himself. He knows he's loved. He's not affected by what you think about him. He's very comfortable in his own skin, whether he has scars or no scars. Jesus is fine. But Peter's not fine. And so he brings up, remember that thing, Peter? Yes, I love you. He, Peter needed to confess this stuff himself. Peter almost needed to hear himself say it three times to the point where he's upset. Yes, I love you. I love you. He's like, man, we're good. We're good here. I know those who have made these sort of dumb mistakes that people bring up. I, I, I've made too many to even count, and, and probably even in front of my family, and there's just so many instances, and some of these things come up, and they're kind of funny when you get past them. I think Jesus is trying to restore some of that relationship with Peter. He's quoting his own words, like, yeah, I remember you said that. And when Jesus echoes the, Peter's own words back to him, like, hey, you're going to love me more than these guys, it, it just feels like that. And almost in his own way, he's like, Peter, I'm good, man. I'm good. I, I'm going to be sarcastic with you, and I might bring it up again. Hey, Peter, remember the courtyard? Like, oh, like it almost can become a, a, a point of laughter at some point, our own failure. And so Peter's working through this. Do you love me? Do you love me? Yes, I love you. And Peter needed to hear himself say that. This is the power of words. And we talk about the power of words and saying kind things to one another. Right? If you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all. We all know that sort of kindergarten rule. And sometimes we don't do it, but we just say nice things about what you're saying first to other people. But what about to ourselves? We have to be kind to ourselves. And that inner voice you have, the inner monologue, tends to not be kind. It tends to say nice, not nice things. It will say you're not good enough. It will say you failed. It will say you blew it in the courtyard. It will say, you're not strong enough. It will say, you cannot lead this thing. It says, Jesus isn't even going to want you. And Jesus leads Peter and says, I love you, I love you, I love you. And Peter's like, Jesus, like, I need, Peter, Jesus doesn't need to be convinced. Peter needs to be convinced. 
I love you, I love you, I love you. And we do this in other areas of, of life. You know, sports teams are, are, are classic for this. Like, you know, they're chanting out what they're going to do, and they're going to win, and we're number one. Like, you have to mentally and, vo- and vocally project that stuff. All these motivational talks, right? It's all about telling you, I can do this, I'm good enough, I'm strong, I'm powerful, I'm beautiful, I'm loved. Tell yourself that stuff. And when you're left alone, like Peter would have been on this time, like, man, I don't even, I don't know, maybe I blew it for good this time. I love you, I love you, I love you. Remember that as you listen to these little things in your head that say you're not good enough, you blew it. Like, you're okay, you are loved, you can do it. Jesus believes in you. Jesus restores Peter, and he calls him into like, this is kind of what's going to happen. You're going to now, you're going to lead me, and you're going to follow me all the way to the, walk the same road that I did, even to a point of, of, of hanging on a cross. It's like, Peter, you are my guy. And I want you to hear that from God today, that you are his guy or you are his girl. You are, you are here for a reason. You are on the planet Earth, Earth for a purpose. You are love. You can love. You're a part of this great story. And don't let that little voice throw you off. And if you need to say it out loud that God loves me, say it. Words are powerful. We know that. And some of us are better at telling other people they're, they're good enough and not, and not ourselves. And Jesus coached him. Jesus is this, like Tony Robbins before Tony Robbins. Like, you need to say this out loud, Peter, again. Yes, I love you. Yes, I love you. Yes, I love you. He's like, okay, you believe it? Because he's like, I knew all along. I need you to believe it. I'm going to have Noah come up. We'll close out in a song. And, uh, yeah, let's invite God to continue to be in this, in this space. God, we thank you for who you are. Let's for your grace, for the story, your life, death, resurrection, ascension, teachings. Lord, we, we thank you that you're a God who comes and invites us to have breakfast by a campfire. I just pray restoration over any hearts right now have just been broken, beat up, made some bad decisions, feel like they're a failure. Whoever you are, you are not a failure. You are loved. You're beautiful. You are chosen for a reason. You are on planet Earth for a reason. I hope you know that. Jesus, we thank you for just grace, unrelenting love. Thank you for caring for us. In Jesus' name, amen. The preceding was recorded at New Church in Ventura, California. Pastor Jesse Giglio was speaking. For more information about New Church, go to N-E-U-E-C-H-U-R-C-H dot com. That website address again is N-E-U-E-C-H-U-R-C-H dot com. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you and yours.